0: and enjoy the podcast welcome welcome world and you're listening to the easy listening sounds of the black psychologist podcast appreciate all of our longtime listeners and watchers and a special greetings to our first-time folks i am one half of your humble and gracious host dr kyle osborne He is I and I am him. And of course, everyone that's been here with us, you know, I'm never here by myself. I'm here with the one and only. He's the showstopper, the headliner, the icon, the main event, Mr. Wrestlemania, Dr. (laughs) Jason Coleman. What's going on? Good brother. How are you?
1: I'm good, man. What's up with you, man? How's the day going, bro?
0: It's going, man. We in the middle of the week. You know, we were rolling through. We are rolling through, you know, um. It's a uh, mental health awareness month. It's May, you know, so we're at the beginning of the month. So absolutely want to continue to, um, you know, uh, promote mental health, of course, as we always do. But however, we know this is the month that it's observed by, um, you know, globally. So we absolutely want to make sure that people are continuing to check not only on their own mental health, but the mental health of their loved ones, their family members, their friends, people that they're close with, you know, just kind of checking in with that. Go get checked up the same way how you would go check with your, you know, get your physical done. You know, absolutely. You know, you want to make sure check on people, see how they're doing, you know, ask these these questions, uh, pay attention. You know, there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be distributed, you know, through just different events, different platforms. So absolutely want to make sure people are observing that and taking heed to it.
1: Yeah, I definitely want to second that. Um, <clears throat> listen, you know, people always, it's kind of a cliche and phrase that they use when they say like, uh, you know, like check on your strong friends. Um, but, you know, it's, that's a reality. Um, so, you know, do something different this month and, you know, think about the sh- the, the people that you perceive as the strongest people, right? Or the people that you go to for support, whether it be your partner, mom, dad, whoever it is, and, um, you know, ask them how they're doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You want to prioritize your uh, your mental health. Speaking of which, Jay, absolutely, my brother. Listen, speaking of that, uh, there's there's this this closing line that's out. Man. <laughs> <laughs> there's This closing line out that that speaks exactly to that. You know, tell give him a little bit more information about it. Man. I, I forget the whereabouts. Listen, man. You I,
1: listen, you, you you look good in blue, my brother. Uh, you know, um, listen, we always want to support. You know, uh, positive mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So you know anybody you know that kind of wants to support in that manner, um, you know uh dot com is all you know open. You know, r- just want to remind everybody prioritize your mental health. Um, and yeah, just thankful for everybody who supported so far. Um, and you know, I'm um, going to definitely continue. You know, same way we keep we we keep all uh, the content coming. We're going to keep coming with new designs and different things like that. So. You know appreciate
0: it's it. It's good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. I'm trying to tell you this look good. Okay. You too can look like Dr. Jason Coleman <laughs> and you go on that website and you get that closing. All right. Yeah, man, you that's how that could be. Man. That's why I you want to be wonder, like you know, listen, I yes, you want to be like Dr. To, uh, J. That, that's how you do it. This is the first step to doing it. You know what oh, I mean? Man. This, this is this how you, you the do the it.
1: <laughs> but but listen, um, I have seen a lot of support, so I want to appreciate anybody who supported. Um you know, and just very thankful. And, you know, please, if, you know, you get whether you get a T-shirt, a pillow, you know, whatever it is, a puzzle, just, you know, send me, send send us a picture so we could post it,
0: you know. Right. There you go. There it is. All right, Jay. So keeping up with uh, current events. It was the NFL draft this past weekend. All right. How, the, right. how did you, how did your team do? What you, you think? I
1: mean, we did all right, man. Like, listen, it, it was a boring year for us because we had to address the line. You know, um, in the last couple of years, we've been, you know, doing what we needed to do in terms of defense, secondary. So I'm not really complaining if we if we don't get a big splash. You know, we got C.D. Lamb, man. So, you know, we we <laughs> we did. How did y'all do?
0: Uh, Well, you know, we didn't have any first round draft picks because we gave all our picks up to that uh and that that went straight you know okay. so yeah and that, that fiasco and that epic fail <laughs> so, oh wow yeah so we didn't have any draft picks um we picked up a wide receiver because we needed that um in the second round the biggest win for us that night is that tennessee sent um aj brown over to uh to philly so okay. he's we don't we no longer have to see him twice a year so i'm good with okay. that because he's a problem you know now I, that, agree, that, I agree. You know, that doesn't that doesn't bode well for you guys in the NFC East, but you know, whatever. Um, so you know, so I asked you about the draft, Jay, because historically there's been a lot of inappropriate questions that right. have been bestowed upon in the, um and addressed towards the uh the NFL draftees. All right. And so what the NFL did this year is they issued a warning to teams that could possibly lose a draft pick um, and face significant fines if some of the club's rep- um, representatives conducted themselves unprofessionally by asking these inappropriate questions in these interviews to draft prospects. Now, a lot of you are probably asking, well, what's inappropriate, right? What do you mean? What kind of inappropriate questions are they, are they asking these players? Well, so over the past years, a lot there were reports that inappropriate questions were being asked to these uh, to these prospects. So let me tell you. So, for example, for so a few years ago, the Miami Dolphins general manager, uh, Jeff Ireland had to apologize to uh, the Dallas Cowboys first round pick, Des Bryant, for asking a pre-draft question. The question was he asked him whether whether his mom was a prostitute. All right. right. And uh a few years ago, um, Then a lot of Atlanta Falcons coach Dan Quinn had to apologize to draft prospect Eli Apple because one of his coaches asked the cornerback what his sexual preference was. LSU running back Darius Geese uh, a few years ago, he said um, when he was at the combine, he was asked about his sexuality and whether his mother was a prostitute. Other questions that have been asked to um, draft prospects is do you find your mother attractive? When did you lose your virginity? If you had to murder someone, would you use a gun or a knife? Would you share your internet history with us? And one comment was, I see you have dread, so you smoke weed, don't you? You can tell us. It's okay if you smoke weed, right? So this is what's been being asked to um potential draft prospects by multiple mm-hmm. different teams as they're going through the interview process. <clears throat> so, you know, it's it's funny, Jay, because I think of uh what's what's that quote that the NFL prides themselves on? It's um the NFL environment is one that is consistent with state and legal uh, law and our shared commitment to respect and diversity <laughs> and, and, and inclusion. Like, you know, like first and foremost, Jay, like what part of this question isn't based in discrimination, mm. right? Like whether we're talking about race, we're talking about culture, sexual preference uh, or sexual orientation, your origin, any marital status, like what? which one of these questions could we pick out that isn't wrapped up in discrimination? I mean, because like this, this is just blatant, blatant discrimination. And, and you know, it, it comes to mind for me is that this is what's been, you know, involved and kind of been permeated through the NFL. And, it, and it's unfortunate because you look at it like this is where it starts from before they even get in the league. Right. right? They're being treated inhumanely at the very beginning of of their employment process. Right. Because this is what this is. This is like they're going through various rounds of employment interviews. So if you're being asked that just coming in, is your mom a prostitute? Right. What are you You know, what's your sexual preference? Would you care? Right. You know, like all these other different questions. They're already treating you like garbage. Right. They're already treating you in mainly like you're less than. And then as you go through your, you know, your career in the NFL, you know, they make it very clear that, hey, you know what, no matter how good you are, you know, one, we're going to treat you like this coming in. And then we're no, there's no way we're going to allow you to, you know, become an NFL coach or any type of leadership position. And we damn sure ain't going to allow you to, you know, become an owner. So it's like it starts, unfortunately, like at the very beginning of when these players come into the league, they get introduced uh, that you're being treated less than.
1: I I mean I definitely think it's problematic, right? From a couple of stances. First, uh, just to kind of piggyback off what you said, I, I think it's dangerously flirting with being discriminatory because of the simple fact that, you know, if you answer one of these questions wrong or in a different way, a, a way that that they don't find appealing, you could not get the job, right? Um, so that's kind of a direct kind of relationship there right. the second thing is like i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie i went kind of less down the the, the the racial road and more like i was just looking at the inappropriateness of it right and i'll tell you why because when i looked at these questions it i could see it to me it's like they're attempting to throw the players off right they want to they want to see if you're going to think on your feet, right? Put you in a pressure situation and see if pressure bust pipes. or That's what the NFL is about. I get it, making a decision like this, right? Um, so I get why you would ask somebody a question for shock value. But then there's differences between that and just asking them out-of-bounds questions, right? And, and the reason why I said problematic is because, like, when you talk about, like, when they describe some of the former players how the process was, it's, it's it's it almost seems like it's kind of become um, like a dog and pony show at this point. Right. Like I could see this process starting off like 10, 20 years ago and being useful. Right. Like ask, let's ask them questions that will make them think and then developing into, you know, a circus. Why? Because if they look at how they set it up, they're saying some of these players are saying they're in a dark room with a spotlight on them. And the, que- and, the, and the people who are who are saying the questions are out of sight. Right. You can't even see them. Right. So you know, the circumstances. Right. Putting them in the dark room, having the people that are asking the questions out of sight. Right. It more so seems like an interrogation. Right. Right. You know, um, kind of reminds you of like the minutes to society scene. If anybody who's a movie buff, you know. Um, you know where he had the guy under the light you know he's asking about dropping the beer you know I, i'm a movie buff man you know well, no, I got to, with you. With you. Um, Go ahead. but but you know not to get off topic you know the way they're kind of describing it i can see this being a process that started out really being useful and ended up being like you know basically a circus that are, that's being done by people in the organization that you'll never hear of right mm-hmm. um basically probably like football nerds that you'll just never hear about right um but i do think that um i do think the process is going to stop right because just like hazing just like a lot of things when certain things get out to the public you know it's embarrassing to a level where they have to do something about it and when they start talking about snatching draft picks a lot of things stop
0: you Mm -hmm. know Another thing that came up for me was, you know, you and I, um, for the past few years, have either facilitated or administered projective assessments, right? Mm-hmm. And I think this is also, I think, where some confusion or it gets misconstrued that oh, well, some of these questions, you know, they're 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 projective, to, you know, a line of questioning where they want to see how the person's going to answer, and that's going to, you know, <laughs> be interpret. No, that's not that. OK, you know, and I know and our line of work, that's not what this is. These are not projective related questions. You know, oh, these, like you said, these are out of bounds and they're coming in the form of interrogation. And another question that I had about all of this of is um, what relevance does this have to them, to their ability on the football field? Right. I get, I understand that you want to say, okay, the person's type of, you know, their frame of thinking or their thought perspective and things of that nature. However, a lot of it is also, hey, how are you going to be performing on the field? What does this, you know, this man's mother possibly or not be possibly being a prostitute and this person's sexual orientation, all these other different things have to do with them and their ability to perform on the field? A lot of these out-of-bounds questions, um, don't have any relevance regarding what their performance is going to be, you know, on the field, and that's primarily what this is for. Like again, understandable as far as you want to be able to assess this person's maturity, is this person going to be an issue with off the field issues? However, you know, uh, no, these are totally inappropriate, disgusting questions, um, absolutely discriminatory, and you know, I'm happy that the the NFL, you know, are going to be imposing some of these you know, fines, losing draft picks and things. My only concern is if, if a player does speak up about it, does that, you know, do they, are they going to seek like, or experience consequences? Will it be blackball because they said, oh, well, this team did this. And I'm wondering how is that going to affect, you know, oh, well, can this, you know, player be trusted? Is he going to speak out of terms? Is he going to be an issue and other different things that he sees as in like, so that's only the kind of like blowback that I would be concerned about if this does happen, and the player does speak out about
1: it. I mean, the only way you insulate yourself against that is if is if you have veterans on board, right, and the Players Association. Right. You, if the Players Association and, and you have veterans on board, then it's a non-issue. Don't matter if everybody speaks up, because, you know, as well as I do, they're only going to punish who, who they can get away with punishing. That's true. If Tom Brady says it's a bad thing, it will be a rule
0: that outlaws it. That's true. So, yeah, so we'll see, you know. um, So hopefully, you know, this is enough uh, pressure on the league that they, you know, stop subjecting, you know, these players to it. Because, you know, it's just to say it's inappropriate would be an understatement. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, Moving on to also. All right, Jay, it is we're in early May. Mm -hmm. However, after we um, promoted and did our last episode, there was some recent news in the state of New Jersey. All right. So marijuana was legalized on what was it? April 20th, April 21st, I believe, whatever it was. So people can get marijuana and use it for recreational use. And I don't know if you saw some of the, uh, the lines at some of these dispensaries. Mm -hmm. These things are wrapped around the block. And And from what I understand, uh, some of my, uh, my coworkers were saying that these dispensaries are being placed. They're like in multiple counties. We're talking like three or four, like in each county, like they're, they're popping up. And how does it impact counseling? How does it impact therapy? How does it impact as far as, you know, um, interacting and treating our, our clients? You know, so what are, what are your thoughts about, you know, you know, that aspect of things?
1: Well, uh. It's funny, man, because to be honest with you, um, you know, this is a conversation that I've been having with like my colleagues for the last few years, only because like, you know, marijuana is, you know, again, it's been legalized in a bunch of states. So it's legalized for recreational use. So, you know, essentially, you know, we're viewing it like alcohol, right? In terms of it's, it's, it's more about when you're using it, you know, and how much use in it than what they're okay to use it right mm-hmm. um but the, the thing is you know sometimes man like the law you know catches up to society you know later right so the reason why I said it's a conversation we've been having professionally is because I probably could have diagnosed half the people I've seen in the last year with you know <laughs> cannabis use disorder if it was just about whether they used cannabis, right? If we were looking at use as abuse, you know? Um, so again, you know, I've kind of been considering it the same way I've considered alcohol um, in terms of a person's use. Um, I've been considering it that way, you know, for the last couple of years. So it's just, I'm looking a little bit deeper into whether the person is consuming cannabis in a caregiving role you know whether you know they're they're going to work. Well, you know what what how much they're consuming that type of stuff, um, rather than just um, kind of being on the road to a disorder because it's illegal, right? So I know some people might agree with that, might not agree with that. It's just a perception, a view. Um, but again, you know, like culture sometimes is way ahead of you know law. So um, you know, what do you what did you think?
0: No, I'm on line with that. And I think that's going to be most likely the most important piece as far as like clinicians are going to have to change their mindset or their perspective, you know, because you may have some clinicians that, you know, are maybe from a certain school of thought of, well, you know, marijuana is this, you know, kind of, it's a drug, it's X, Y, and Z. And it's always been that because historically that's what it's been, right? That's how they are trained. That's what, you know, the the culture that they maybe grew up in. So now it's going to be, I think, a significant shift for them because they're going to have to actually, you know, detach from that old regime of, you know, marijuana, it's been illegal, it causes problems, it has all these other different things, to now people are going to be coming in, you know, like you said, smoking it, recreational, right before maybe they come into your office, right? You, know, yeah. you, may, you may smell it on them like because and that's going to be, you know, how it's going to be looked at. It's going to be like you smoking cigarettes or like you had a drink or such. So now I think in addition to, you know, and I'm not sure as far as like with the, uh, the DSM and all these other different as far as the diagnosing criteria, but also that these things are going to have to be adjusted. Right. It's going to have to be, you know, because like you said, it's going to have to fall into the realm of, OK, what, you know constitutes a person, whether it's abuse, right? What's going to be the amount is, like you said, is it more the, the caretaking aspect? Is it how usage being, you know, played at the job? All these other different things. It's going to be a huge domino effect. Uh, however, absolutely, it's going to be, you know, putting these, your own personal set of values to the side of how you view it, you know, whether you think it's good or it's not good or it's helpful, not helpful. And as you look at, okay, this patient or this client have you have in front of you, if they're using it responsibly, no, it doesn't fall in that area where it's a, you know, use disorder or abuse.
1: And I, again, I think what you said, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like, because, and I was just writing, just jotted that down quickly while you was talking. Um, I don't think the problem for practitioners is gonna be how to assess for it, right? Because again, the same way the DSM has certain criteria, all people have to tell you is assess the same way we assess Individuals that consume alcohol. Right. Um, I think I think the biggest problem practitioners are going to have is their own judgment and biases. Right. Right. That's going to be the problem It's going to be because we love looking over our glasses at people. Right. And, And saying, you know, they are the patients. We are the experts, yada, 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 whatever the case may be. Um, but especially like we've had this conversation when it comes to like mushrooms and certain things. Right. Um, and a lot more people would probably agree and, and look at and say, well, those are hard drugs. Right. But we see evidence when, where they're being, they're being used to treat different disorders and they're they're beneficial. So when I see that, when I see the the studies, you know, um, if I see enough studies, then I got to you know, my mindset has to be adjusted, right? It's not up to the other person, right? Um, So I think we're going to have generational conversations that have to happen. You know, they're going to be racial conversations that have to happen, class conversations, because especially when you talk about things like, you know, marijuana, it cuts along those lines a lot of the time, you know, um, in terms of people's thoughts on who uses marijuana and why, right? It's kind of like, the crack conversation right if you talk to certain people they'll tell you only those people smoke crack right but if you look at the numbers they'll tell you all of these people <laughs> smoke crack right so i think perception you know but the perception of most people is not going to be you know of somebody who consumes crack and you ask them to describe a crackhead you know um as judge mathis would say um they're going to, just, They a lot of them are going to describe a certain type of person, right? Um, so I think the problem or the biggest hurdle is going to come from, like, our own judgment about it,
0: you know? Speaking of numbers, like, I wonder about being, like you said, that culture sometimes is ahead of the game, right? That's at the forefront. So I'm wondering how being that it is becoming legalized in states, right? It's, it's, like a, it's like a whole wave of more and more states that are passing legislation that it's going to be, you know, legalized for recreational use. And I'm also wondering the, because for the reason that, you know, we have studies that say marijuana is helpful for these different issues, right? Not only medical issues, but there are studies that say it's been helpful for PTSD. It's been helpful for depression. Right. It's been helpful for all these things. And I'm wondering, okay, how about some of these organizations and these agencies, right? Are they going to shift their stance on marijuana when it becomes mm-hmm. legal, right? You got to think, because like the VA in even the APA, like the APA, you know, had this stance like a couple of years ago where they're like, no, we're not going to support, you know, marijuana, you know, because there's not enough research or there's not enough studies that say, mm-hmm. it's. but there's more and more studies coming out. So I'm wondering right. if it would because now that the government has been able, has been able to, you know, capitalize and regulate it and tax it and so on and so forth, one of these organizations, these companies, right? How I wonder if they're gonna also, you know, put some of their, you know, preconceived other notions and the stigma and all these other different things to the side and say, hey, you know what? The research is saying that it is helpful. More and more people are, you know, engaging in it. You know, are they going to start to do it? It's the VA and the APA and all these other different agents. I wonder if they're going to eventually, you know, come to the point where they're going to, you know, not necessarily support it, but be like, eh, OK, it's it's fine. It helps. Maybe. Um, but not if it's going to put them
1: out of business. Not if that not if that it I mean, I'm just and I'm just speaking my opinion now, but not if advocating against that issue. Is the purpose of the organization keeps the organization open and employs people. They're gonna keep. They're gonna. It'll be another fight to dig in. They'll. They'll start fighting about the the federally classified Schedule One status. Mm. They'll be fighting about who has access to medical marijuana cards. They'll, there's a. There'll be something else, right? Because and we've seen this with a bunch of different issues, right? They'll. they Um. Again, right? Because. It's one of these things where as long as we have mixed data, you know, you're going to have enough, you know, for people to grab on you know, and kind of highlight the data or the evidence that supports their position. You know, that's another thing that I thought was interesting, right, because the fact that they said, you know, of course, the, the fact that they said the VA, you know, has studies that they found credible, you know, that says THC is, is beneficial for PTSD, you know, but they won't kind of endorse it because it's still federally classified as a Schedule One drug. I thought that was kind of very interesting, as kind of like a paradox, right? Um, and it's a prime example of kind of what you're you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? Um, because they're kind of in a pickle. You know what I mean? That they are one of the biggest federal kind of um, agencies, right? Um, mm-hmm. So they can't go against that. They, they they can't make a recommendation that goes against a federal law. Right. So it's kind of like how we were just talking about how sometimes culture and science along with culture, you know, is out in front of law. You know what I mean? Um, and the law has to catch up sometimes. So
0: let's see how it works out. I'm wondering really quick how that's gonna also impede or affect um employees. So say for instance, like if you're a government employee and like say at, at you know, my hospital you know, there's a firm substance use policy where yeah, you you know, we have random testing, so on and so forth. However, if you live in the state of New Jersey or you're in the state of New Jersey and it's legal, right? It's legal for you to smoke marijuana, you know, recreationally, does that mean if I get tested how are you going to be able to enforce? How are you saying, I am in? Mean, you know, it's like, they're going to have, there's going to be so many changes in things that are going to have to happen on so many different levels because you Yo. can't sit there and say, like, if you're a clinician, if I work at the hospital and I smoke weed or marijuana, but you know, which is legal, but then you're, if I get randomly tested and you find it in my system, you're going to have to, Yo, something that's to change.
1: Man, there, There's a bunch of cases that's working their way through the court system now with that, but the problem with that is the law, you can point to the law, but you're going to get fired first. Right. And the thing is there's, and I'm, I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm just throwing it, but it's never going to, because with certain high risk jobs, with certain jobs, you know, they can allow, they can test you and, 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 and and mandate that you don't have alcohol in your system. Right. Um, so there's certain jobs like, you know what I'm where I'm about to say, heavy machinery, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the if you know what we, or you know, and I know can stay in your system for 30 days. so I could have spoke two weeks ago. And that's why. But see, those those intricate details. Right. Like they don't even really have things down to a science where they know what the road testing is going to be like in terms of DUI. Right. 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 right? They were talking in New Jersey about having people that they call to the scene to look at your eyes and just some crazy stuff. Right. Because it's all uncharted territory. Right. Uh Um, But remember companies have a right to put in their own policies. Right. So you can have your, your rights. Right. But the New York Yankees going to be like, yo, if you want to be on our team, you got to cut your mustache. Right. Or go be on that team. Right. So certain companies are going to put things in place. And as long as it's in place for everyone, they're just going to be like, well, this is our
0: policy. Private enterprise. Go. There you go. You know? All right. So we'll see. Like you said, it's going to be a lot of movement. And I think what they saw first was, oh, we can, you know, we can not, mon- you know, we can monetize this. Right. We can tax it. We can regulate it. did then think about, like you said, all the other different avenues and other areas going to be affected. So but it's that's going to be interesting to watch.
1: You well. Know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely.
0: All right. All right. Something else that was interesting to watch recently was Amy Wax, <laughs>
1: University
0: of Professor, a University of Penn Law Professor, who has a long history of uh, making inflammatory remarks and has unfortunately yet again gained widespread and attention for uh, some remarks about among um, race and immigration. So. Professor Amy Wax was on the uh, Tucker Carlson show, which is on uh, Fox News, a few weeks ago. And she had some um, pretty interesting things to say about um, African-Americans and Asian-Americans and Indian-Americans. So first and foremost, she said blacks and other non-Western groups harbor resentment, shame and envy against Western people for their outsized uh, achievements and contributions. All right. She then went on to say that um, a uh, regarding uh, disparaging remarks about, about Asian Indian doctors. She said they, they mostly hate America. She said that they climb the ladder and they get the best education. We give them every opportunity and they turn around and leave the charge on we're racist. And that we're an awful country. We need the reform or we need to reform. Our medical systems need reform also. There you go. All right. Those are just the Little highlighted things that she said about it, Jay. Um, as a professor, what are your thoughts? Because, right off for me, I'm, I'm sitting here like, with, you know, I, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you jump in there first because you, you you know, you're a professor, so uh, yeah, uh, all right. You you said she works for
1: UPenn, she works for UPenn Law Professor, yeah, and of right. course, so, so and I'm not. I'm,
0: all I'm gonna say is, and and of course, real quick, the state spokesman spokesperson from uh, the University of Penn uh, said that you know, um, you know, these, these do not reflect our values. And they pro- don't reflect <laughs> our values.
1: Yada yada, yada yada
0: yada 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 yada. Penn is moving forward with a process to address her her uh, escalating conduct. Okay,
1: All right. save save it. All save right, it this is this is common that you see, and I'm not, I mean, obviously these are comments that you will see from a lot of people who call themselves conservatives, right? Um, but they're using the word these people, and I'm, I'm not even saying they're true conservatives, right? They're using this, the term conservative as a cover to spout racism, right? Um, and I only say this because again, Is this surprising? No. Right. She has a long history of this. I'm not going to spend too much time addressing her. Um, So I'm not surprised. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, She did her best. You know, um, she did her best kind of her comments as salacious as possible. You know, possibly trying to catch Donald Trump's ear. Right. Um, Anybody who says something like that, you know, uh, any, any as much as he was condemned for it you know, she knows what she's doing, right? So you look at whose show she's on, right? And you look at the comments she's making and what she said, she's throwing red meat to the Fox News audience, right? And anybody who doesn't understand that is either an imbecile or they, ha- they haven't they have been alive, right? So I'm not going to spend too much time on her. All I will say as a professor is that obviously she's a disgrace. Um, anybody deserves to have their opinion, right? Um, but this goes beyond that right this is just this these these are just uh racially motivated uh, motivated views right but there are people like her in every field right so everybody needs to understand that um there are people like this in law there are people like this in medicine there are people like this in psychology there are teach elementary school teachers like this in education as well right so um you know we got to understand that just because somebody has a title does not infer Uh, positive or appropriate character traits upon them, right? Um, You can still, you know, be highly educated and, you know, not only be ignorant, but you can come off as a jerk
0: as she did. So that's all I will have to say about that. My question is, given her stance and opinions, how does she have the capacity to teach students of different races, oh, right? Maybe because seriously, right? Like clearly her her overtly racist talking points run her incapable of being able to educate students from different cultures and races. Because how do you sit here and say, you have, you have these kids that are sitting in her classroom, right, these students? Mm-hmm. You're blatantly saying, oh, well, they hate our country, all, all these different things. Like, brother. Spewing this. like how, brother, how how is this, you know? You
1: know, they tell you PR, but it's like. I know you're being facetious. She is hiding out in the Ivy League as a law professor. This is the ultimate of ultimate of ultimate conservative circles. She can probably walk around UPenn and make those statements, and people will either ignore her or agree with her, right? And the few or the law students or people that work with her that are in her class, right, who have been like me and been the few chocolate chips in in a whole in a cup of milk they're not going to say nothing right they're just going to do what they got to do to get their a and they're going to move on and say she's ignorant right but come on man everybody on campus probably know dr wax is left the
0: has left the planet a long time ago it would it would be very difficult you know to have to have my uh my kid in her classroom because I I would be sitting there saying like yo you're not you're not getting a fair shot like she will find every way to any extent to not give you you know that grade that you've earned in some form or fashion I mean even if you have that A caliber paper she will find it it appears because I remember a couple years ago she was saying that no African American students have ever graduated in the top of the class which was incorrect sure. of course. <laughs> uh, But, you know, like this, this is, you know, like it's it's tough, man. Like, I I really do feel for the students in her classroom that aren't white, unfortunately, because she seems like she has her agenda. It's like she's she adds like she's trying to add like a veneer of intellectualism to blatant racism. Right. Because she's saying like, oh, well, you know, these people are immigrants, they migrate to our country and like most likely half the people that she's talking about or she's attacking aren't even immigrants. You know, I imagine this is a reward here, but of course, racism is, is, you know, is, is based in ignorance. Um, it's, it's, you know, I don't know, man. Um, it's unfortunate. Like at the end of the day, it's unfortunate that you have students that are in the minority regarding, you know, their ethnicity or, you know, their culture, they have to be, you know, if they have to go through her to obtain their goal to obtain their law degree. And you have to sit there. I mean, it's it's unfortunate, you know. No student should have to, you know. That you know, that little PR statement they put out that was that was hilarious. That was, yeah, man. Come on. Man. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, we'll I guess we'll catch her probably on on the next you know edition of the you know whatever the, whatever's on Fox News or Tucker or whatever. Yeah,
1: sure, you'll catch her on Tucker Carlson show.
0: Yeah, sure. mm-hmm. she'll be at the uh at the at the Trump rally
1: or at Mar-a-Lago
0: somewhere. The you know the winter White
1: House somewhere.
0: There you go. All right, so Jay, a recent report by UCLA psychologists and economists has identified an effective way to reduce the number of divorces among lower-income Americans. You know what that is? What raise the minimum wage. That's all you got to do. Raise the minimum wage. All right. So the UCLA study shows that when states increase their minimum hourly wage. I mean, wage by one dollar. Divorce rates declined by seven percent to 15 percent over the next two years among men and women earning low wages. All right. Now, these were including but not limited to those earning minimum wage. All right. So the new um, in the study included only people between the ages of 18 and 35 who make up the majority of the minimum wage earners. All right. and it said that they also found that the one dollar per hour increase in the state's minimum wage reduced marriage rates by three to six percent. All right. So, uh, what do you make out of this, Jay? I mean, I thought this was a really interesting article. You know? Yeah. I, listen, man. I I thought
1: so too. Um, it 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 absolutely made me think of like anecdotally, like um, what I always have heard growing up is like. You know the one of the biggest causes of divorce in marriage is finances, right mm-hmm. or marital stress i I you know, I don't have any numbers to back that up, but that's something I've always heard, right um so it immediately brought me there um and listen, it makes sense, right? because everybody most people's biggest expense is rent right or a mortgage or something like that um you know. If we look at the numbers, traditionally, you know, I, I know they were saying 10 years ago that most American families, the average American family has less than $3,000 put away, right? Um, and you're talking about people that have children, right? So that's going to put a lot of stress on you, right? Um, and if we're talking about economic stress, debt, student loans, all of those things, um, that's that's that seems like it could be a heavy weight, you know, um, in terms of, you know, kind of making your relationship vulnerable to breaking up. Um, and I think, you know, the the kind of reverse is true, right? When those things are removed, right? When you, when you have a relationship and money is not a problem, right? Going out to eat, you ain't worried about who's paying. Going on vacation, you ain't worried about who's paying. You know, now that's a different level, but I'm just saying when money is not a factor or as much as a factor... You can truly focus on other things, right? Like each other, right? Or like communication, or um, so. You know, I thought it was very interesting
0: in that way. But what did you get from it? Something that stood out to me um, was that they cited that previous studies noted that when poor people get married, they tend to marry earlier and are um, and are about twice as likely to divorce.
1: I didn't. Yo, it said that in the article.
0: It said that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I miss that. But that's a conversation I always have with my people. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I always because I always thought. Right. Like, think about it. Most people, the pressure is to get married in your, you know, whenever you get out of college, like late 20s, early 30s, that that type of stuff. Right. But if we look at super successful people and I'm just saying, like, let's look left. Like if we look at Hollywood. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying they're the model for better relationships, but what I'm saying is you have people who are getting married like in their forties. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're coming into these relationships with homes, sometimes with children, but they are coming in to this relationship with a foundation. Right. I got my stuff. You got your stuff. We can either collaborate. Right. But I don't know that there's less stress in their relationship. Right. But, it's just something to that, what you said, you know, that that people who have less marry earlier, you know, and divorce more. That's, that's crazy. You yeah. Know?
0: It's, um, I think it's a, I think we see it in a lot of different fields where you have some individuals that have, you know, when you've completed whatever your degree or whatever your goals are or whatever your schooling um, course is, and once you've been able to establish that, and then you get married, and then you start, you know, the family process, yeah, you absolutely see a higher percentage um, in success, and a lower percentage regarding the divorce aspect of it. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, folks, you know, when they're young, and you're less established, it's kind of like you're putting both things together, right? You're putting both your your, your finances and things together when they're not probably at its highest um, or fullest capacity, and now you're putting it, you, you know, you're involved in a stressful situation. Absolutely, man. Um, there's absolutely correlation. Is You know, you're, you're younger, you're, you're, you know, your finances aren't as established as they could be. You're getting with someone else that's finances aren't as established. Sure. As young. Um, I think also what might contribute or lend itself to that is your decision-making, right? Your financial literacy. So as you've gotten older, right, you've learned maybe your, you know, your credit may be more established. You learned how to save better. Like you just mentioned the whole, the savings aspect or factor. Um, So I think there's something to it in regards to you're better with managing money as you've gotten older, Um, as opposed to when you're younger, you know, you're still, you know, I might be making some impulsive decisions. And like you said, now you got somebody else involved. if you're playing around with the rent money, right? You played around with the car note, buddy, and other different things, and you know, also there might be less job stability, right? So, I mean, that's a that's a big deal. Um,
1: and then I I hope this isn't a controversial statement. It makes sense the way I'm thinking about it, but I also think like if it's a, on a some level, like if it's a larger pot, right? Like if there's a larger pot, and you're it's it's harder to break up when you married and, and y'all got 200 million or y'all got 20 million. It's a lot more to sort out than if you got the less than the $3,000. Right. It's a, it's a lot. It, it, I, I don't want to say it's a lot easier to walk away from the relationship because you know, that's, that's very dismissive. That's not what I'm saying, mm-hmm. but it's a lot, it's a lot more of a lengthier and difficult process, right? Because you're walking away from, A lot. Right. You might be walking away from a person. You might be walking away from your family and a lifestyle at that point. Right. Um, And generational wealth. You might be blowing it. Right. So to me, I think uh, there's a lot more factors. Um, And of course, we're just talking about strictly the financial portion. But um, I just think it's interesting. Right. Because I think, you know, um, if you remove that type of pressure and stress from people who are lower earners, I think you, I I think it would, it might benefit their relationship. And I think on a broader level, the the family in general, right? Because how many kids do I talk to who are nine, 10, 11 years old, and they know about finances in the family home, right? Why? Because they got a single parent that has to work hard. And, you know, maybe they don't have a partner there and, you know, listen, we can't parents are going to talk to their kids about what's going on sometimes, right? You don't want, kids to know everything you know but a parent is gonna if if a kid says mom why are you tired or why you can't play with me you know they may tell them like mommy got to work two jobs because it's a lot of you know a dad got to work two jobs so kids might know right when they want to know why they can't go on a trip or why they can't have a toy or have six hundred dollar yeezys like they friends right or four hundred dollar retros and parents might tell them listen you know dad got to work hard you know f- to get what you got on your feet now so those are the type of stressors within the family you know that you think about if you remove all of those things how it could benefit a relationship a child or a family
0: unit you know uh, listen financial considerations play a substantial role in whether i think even a, the couples will will sit there and ask themselves is this relationship worth maintaining <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it, man. No, nah, brother, no, nah, listen, I'm I'm there, bro. Listen. I absolutely. Well they'll will sit there and be like, yo, is this what we bring it? Like, is that's, it, why it I say,
1: that's why I said you walking away from a lifestyle as well. Right. Right? Um, because again, you see a, you and I mean I'm sure this is people true for people who are wealthy and not wealthy, but listen, I'm sure the marital rate for a wealthy people isn't that much more just because they love each other more, right? Some people are in relationships and they just in them. They're like, it's to death do us part, right? Might just be out of convenience. I'm like, listen, because of what this person brings to the
0: table, I'm here, I'm in it. Right. You in the East Wing and I'm in the West Wing. That's right. right. You know, and it's like some situations where if you have more additional money or you have, you know, a higher combined kind of income, there might be more marital bliss. Right. So like you said, it's less stressful. No. We're not worried about you know. Okay, well, if something happens. Yeah, Where Would you do with the rent money? You know, you out, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did you do with the rent? But you know, what did you do with our car? Though, like, why are they? Why are these bill collectors called? It's a lot different. Unless less stress, you know, if that situation is is taken care of or is a non-issue, yeah, you know what, the household is going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot warmer. That's a big issue, especially
1: when you talk about relationships right um listen the fine finance like finances you know and that that load in terms of financially if it's not being taken care of it's gonna call it gonna cause a lot of
0: stress mm-hmm. that's just a fact brother and especially when you get connected to that person now you're responsible now they're calling you they'll, they'll click they're not even calling for that you you the co signer oh, yes that's
1: serious. serious
0: yeah absolutely so yeah this was an interesting study um, that, yeah, I think it highlights, uh, some things and an un- uncomfortable conversation that I believe, you know, some couples as, especially as they continue to progress and you get closer and more intimate, like this is a conversation that needs to take place depending on, you know, when you move in together and now share responsibilities and, you know, and bills, not nah, this, this is, um, something to take into consideration, you know? so. Yeah. so, you know, we'll see, uh, Jay. Anything else before we get out of
1: here? Nah, um, I'm gonna, after we get off, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just talk to you about something else related to this that we might want to discuss last, next week. But I just want to
0: run it by you, see if it's appropriate. Of course. Know? Sure. Any Jay, anything you suggest and recommend, we're gonna do. You know that.
1: Nah, man, I, I just want to see if it's appropriate for what we're doing. You know, My, you know, you know. Sometimes. It's a regular article, but sometimes, you know, it might be a little bit too ratchet for the platform, you know. So we'll talk about it.
0: You know, we might have some folks that, you know, <laughs> you know, listen, you know we, we cater to everyone. All right. right. You all know, right. listen, all, 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 all SES statues, you know what I mean? Now, listen, we're we work for everybody. All you right. Know? As he said, we're for the kids. So it's the Black Side podcast. I know? can dig it, man. You know? Well, all right. So before we get out of here, also, um, Happy Mother's Day to all the moms, uh to mama Jason, to all the ladies in your everybody. family. Uh absolutely we we love the moms, the grandmoms, the godmoms, the stepmoms, all the moms the stepped up, aunts, uh, everyone. Um you know, without you guys there's there's no there's no us. Um so we absolutely want to wish everybody a happy Mother's Day. Uh have a safe celebration with your families. Um also again mental health awareness mom. So absolutely make sure you are checking up on your loved ones. Um, you know, pay attention, get as much information about mental health. It's a lot of stats, a lot of information out there. So we're absolutely asking and pleading with people to prioritize their mental health. And um Continue to, you know, watch, listen, subscribe, like, hate, thumbs down, thumbs up, whatever you want to do, comment. We saw a lot of, we called a couple of folks asking about uh, mushrooms in the last episode and, and the <laughs> we appreciate that. Um, I ain't got mushrooms for you, but hey man, listen, if you watching and it, ask it, I'm cool with that, you know?
1: Yo, I was talking to me and my, I had an interesting conversation with my students about that too. Yeah? They thought it was, they thought I was bugging until I had some of them pull up the article. I'm like, you guys heard about the mushrooms? Article about trauma. They like, Dr. Coleman. What the hell are you talking about? But we had a good convo about it, man. Good yeah, convo.
0: yeah. Some, some really good conversation there. Yeah, man. You know. So, without that, Jay. Anything I'm forgetting? No. Just
1: again, anybody who takes the time to listen, um, especially today. You know, technology. You know, was a little off today, but we're gonna. The show must go on. Absolutely. Um, So you know, we appreciate anybody riding with us. Um, You know, we're going to keep the content coming. Uh, Just please be patient. You know, um, Dr. Osborne and us uh, and and Dr. Coleman right now, you know, we're putting in them hours, you know, trying to, you know, study for our license and doing a bunch of other things, spreading ourselves thin. So, you know, we're going to do our best to keep the content coming. um, And we appreciate the support. Um, So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And just remember, prioritize your mental health and check on your loved ones.
0: Yes, sir. All right, Jay. Until... uh... Next episode. All right, right, brother.
1: 100, man.